Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. And you get here early because you want to get ahead of it. You've already checked your emails in the morning, but you want to get in and you want to get ahead of it because you're super productive in those first two and a half hours before, you know, most people are in. And then the unknown happens and you spend most of your day addressing something that Ted Canova, who's uh, working at our organization now, has, has a saying. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Joan Gary. So I had the pleasure of spending New Year's Eve in Charleston, South Carolina. Never been there before. Beautiful city. But I have never seen so many cannons at one time in my life. Between the Revolutionary and the Civil Wars, everywhere I looked, there were cannons galore. Ever imagine being shot out of one? Kind of how I feel about life as a nonprofit executive director. You arrive at the office, or probably for more of you, you roll over, you shut off the alarm. Oh, let's just take a quick glance at those emails, shall we? And boom! Today, I've invited two friends and executive directors to join me to talk about a day in the life of an executive director, how to manage your day and all the folks who want a piece of you, how to find joy in the work, and how to deal with that feeling of being shot out of a cannon. First, meet Maria Chaveco executive director of Futuro Media Group. Futuro is a nonprofit media organization that has introduced the world to the new American mainstream through its long-running series Latino USA on NPR, as well as an array of multimedia platforms and an upcoming one-hour special on PBS called America by the Numbers. Futuro Media Group was founded by one of the most prominent Latina journalists in the country, Maria Hinojosa, back in 2010. Maria has been the ED of this $1.8 million organization, for the last three years. Maria, thanks for joining us. We are also joined by Glenda Testone, the executive director of the New York LGBT Center, an $8.5 million organization that recently completed a $9.2 million capital campaign renovating its home to become a spectacular home for the LGBT community here in New York. The center is a place where everyone is celebrated for who they are and offers programs ranging from health and wellness to arts and entertainment to parenthood and family support services. Glenda is in her seventh year as an executive director of an organization that was founded in 1983 as the AIDS crisis was reaching epidemic proportions. Glenda, thanks to you for your work and for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. So the reason I wanted to bring two different people, is because a day in the life of an executive director is not only different every day, but it's different based on the person and the job, the size of the organization, and the kind of work that's done. One of the biggest questions I get from my blog readers is this one. How do I manage being an executive director? And if neither of you have that answer, we could actually close up right now. Um, uh, (laughs) The answer may be you can't, uh, but I'm very interested in understanding from two people I respect if there is information, observations, and insights you can offer that can help those people who might be listening to this podcast about how to really be the best executive director you can possibly be, perhaps even just one day at a time. Glenda, 
You came up through the program ranks. I did. And Maria came up through the finance ranks. And it's to me, it's always interesting to see how people find themselves in executive director jobs and what skills and attributes they come prepared with and which ones they don't necessarily have when they arrive. Yeah, I, I do have to say that I was fortunate enough to have a mentor in the finance end. And then through the job that I had before in learning nonprofit accounting, which is very specific, I ended up as a full-time employee at the Mark Morris Dance Group. And I have to say that Nancy Umanoff, the executive director of that organization, is who I try to emulate every day. She was... Um, the first one there and the last one to leave. She had her pulse in every aspect of the organization. And I understood so clearly how fortunate Mark was because without the relationship and the trust of an executive director, how would the organization have been grown when someone only thinks about things in an artistic manner? So the administrative and the growth potential and the actual running of the organization was so, so vital to the growth. And they, you know, they got a building and they built a school and uh, the the organization continues to grow. But I do, Nancy Umanoff is the woman I, I emulate every day. We'll come back to the idea of mentors because I do believe that they are pretty critical. And let's talk a little bit about the topic of the day. So, you know, I have many clients. I have many colleagues who are executive directors. I have an ED friend of mine who once said that he felt like a mid-level human resources manager when what he had really thought he had signed up for was to change the world. What's the big time bandit for you? I mean, this is the the whole issue about controlling your day. Let's start with what gets in the way of controlling your day. What's the biggest time bandit, Glenda? I would say responding to emails. Um, You know, just being, they're constant. They come all the time. They demand a risk. I like to move things forward. I like to get things done. And I think there are weeks, certainly, where I get to the end of the week and I think to myself, okay, so my inbox is actually pretty clean. And I may have, you know, less than 10 emails in there. And I sort of keep things in there that I have to address. But did I accomplish the big things for the organization? Did I actually move the strategy forward? Did I get the board management goals accomplished that I needed to? Um, It it just, that's the kind of thing that sort of sucks your time in a really granular, consistent way that I look back on and think, you know, if I had spent two hours less on answering emails and spent those two hours on thinking about strategic planning, how would the organization be different a year from now? Yep. I think that's a really good I think that's a really good point. I think email is actually there's a there's an almost immediate payoff to email and you run a big organization and have how many full-time employees? About 80. 80. So let's now now let's turn it to Maria. <laughs> right? Maria doesn't have 80 people. No. Right? <laughs> Do we have 8 people? <laughs> we have 17. So the question again to you, right? is what's the big time bandit for you? So I have to say I would I would agree that email, um, as Joan said, it feels great when you get through the day's emails. It's kind of like a to-do list mentality. So, oh, I, I got that done. I would say that the biggest time bandit for us and for me um, uh, in running the organization is the unknown. Mm. 
And that is where many times you walk into the, you know, into the office and you get here early because you want to get ahead of it. You've already checked your emails in the morning, but you want to get in and you want to get ahead of it because you're super productive in those first two and a half hours before, you know, most people are in. And then the unknown happens and you spend most of your day addressing something that Ted Canova, who's uh, working at our organization now, has has a saying. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm. And because our organization is growing so quickly, I, I am at a stage where because of our size and because of our growth and our potential, I do have to have my finger in on every little thing. I don't have a staff of 80, and the buck definitely stops with me, although the founder and, and president of the organization would probably feel that the buck stops with her. But the day-to-day operations, the buck really does stop with me, and I sort of I'm, – I'm managing the relationships and all of that. So, uh, you know, for me, it's a combination of, oh, God, please let this be a day that it goes smoothly so that I could advance plan for tomorrow. and. Then there are the days that it's you're on the meeting hamster wheel. You are like meeting after meeting after meeting and you leave the organization at 8 p.m. and then go home and have a glass of wine and take out or if you have a wonderful partner like I do a meal and then you do emails until one or two in the morning. But I also know that you binge watch certain TV shows, <laughs> that you listen to a lot of podcasts. So you make time, and we're going to come back to the balance in a minute. So Maria started the conversation. The biggest question you could answer for executive directors that are listening is what strategies do you employ to control your day? Mm-hmm. But when we think about it. What, how many different hats do you wear? You wear a fundraising hat. You wear a finance hat. You wear an, uh, an evangelist hat. You wear a public speaking hat. You wear an advocacy hat. You wear – go ahead. What else? What all, the thing about all those hats. You don't have that many heads. <laughs> I, guidance counts. I mean, there's, yeah. there's all these yeah. roles, right? Yeah. And um, I only see two heads in this studio. But I hear a lot of hats. Do you have any advice for somebody who's out there? And and it doesn't matter whether you have 80 people or 20 people. You still have to manage the varying stakeholder groups mm-hmm. and the priorities that each of them have that are not always yours. You do. And the strategies that I use to try and manage my day and manage my week are I'm a big to-do list person. And coming back um, very briefly to the mentor point, full disclosure, um, Joan was, you know, my first executive director that I saw. And the first moment where I realized, oh, my God, this is the greatest job in the world. I want to be an executive director someday. And I think had lunch with Joan and said, what do I need to know? What do I need to do? But one of the things that I still use to this day that I learned from Joan was actually in making those to-do lists, I write down everything, every email I need to send, every phone call, everything I need to do. But then I also, on the left-hand side, have sort of a big things for the week. Like, these are the things that I cannot lose sight of. And I think having that separation between the minute tasks that need to happen, where it may feel very good if I do 10 of those, if I do 10 of those, if I exhaust that list and I do not accomplish those big things, I haven't done my job. Good. That's helpful. Maria, what's a strategy that you use that you think might be helpful? Trust and delegate. So you have to you have to trust the team 
that you have uh, painstakingly assembled. Trust their judgment. Do not micromanage. And when you delegate something, it's you have to trust that it's done. And uh, that's been that's been a real challenge at the organization because we're so small. But as our senior team has gotten stronger, I think I think it's working really well. I think you know our fundraising department is an example of that. And you know I I no longer have the pleasure of balancing <laughs> balancing the checkbook every month or reconciling accounts. Right. So it's a it's a little more esoteric. Like what you know, what your it's done in your head is, because in my head, it's never done, especially in a growing organization. I am also a huge fan, a huge fan of just before the end of a month, looking at your monthly calendar for the next month, right? If you are not meeting with a prospective donor or X number of them during a month, you're probably not going to meet those big goals that Glenda talked about. So controlling the calendar in a monthly fashion in a very tactical way is both plays to the to-do list piece and also to the strategy piece. So some things to think about in that regard. Regardless of the size of your organization, these things can make a difference. Um, I wanted to shift gears for a minute and ask you a question, and this is true for both of you and I believe for many organizations, leaders who may be listening. Both Glenda and Maria work with and for, and I'm, I'm going to call it marginalized communities. If there's a different word you like, shoot it at me. How do you deal with racism, homophobia, <laughs> insensitivity, and not take it personally? How do you make sure that you keep above it, that you do not actually let it eat you alive? Let's start with Maria. Humor. <laughs> Humor. Uh, I think you kind of have to put things in perspective. I, I know that as a journalism organization, there's something known as gallows humor. But um, often the hate mail that we get, which sometimes is very strange, and the love mail sometimes is very strange with feathers and other things in it. It's very odd. <laughs> but you have to realize that most of the hate mail that we get speaks in platitudes. It speaks in this overall hate speak that is actually not very personal. There's there's a detached sense to no one has ever sent us a letter that said something extremely personal and this is why I hate what you're doing. It's all just it's it's broad stroke stuff. Glenda? I would completely agree with that. I think humor is really mm -hmm. important. I will say you know, for us, and, and this has been true in every movement I've worked in, the women's movement, the LGBT movement, the thing that, that I personally, I'll say, find difficult is you expect that kind of venom and hate from the outside. You know, I expect the anti-gay emails and phone calls that we get. They're disturbing, but they're sadly expected. Um, what is more difficult, I think, to manage is when it comes from within your own community, when it is people that that you're really fighting on behalf of. And, you know, we're an organization that is open to the public, no membership cards, no metal detectors. Uh, anyone can walk through the door and really we have a code of conduct, but it's it's very liberal. And so 
the people that sit at our front desk and our information referral specialists deal with folks in all kinds of situations. And they really, when I read the incident report sometimes and hear the kind of things that they endure that do come across as personal and that are coming from members of our own community, it's really challenging. And I think it makes it really important to take care of your staff, to really understand what they're going through, and to to be communicative and appreciative as much as possible, because those folks are really on the front line in a way that I'm even not as the leader of the organization. So I'm really grateful for those folks. You know, the other thing that we do is for every one piece of hate mail or voicemail, or there are so many wonderful Uh, pieces of mail. And so we make a point of sharing that as well. And I know that members of this organization on days that they're on the 11th hour, right before the deadline, they sometimes take a moment and go back and read a positive comment about the work they have done. And that kind of changes the perspective. So I think balance as well as humor. Uh, That's great. So let's move a little bit to Questions that I get from readers of my blog, and I have a couple of them here. Uh, Here's the first one for 10 points and a chance of the bonus question, Maria. (laughs) Here's somebody who says, I work all the time. If I am not working, I'm thinking about working. Do you actually have a life? Did you have one when you first started? Does it get better or does it get worse? And please include in this, this is not from the question itself, (laughs) Um, if you have a life, how did you how do you manage work life balance? If you do, I have uh, I have a partner that keeps me very grounded on the life balance, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It means that th- the answer to the question: Do you think about work all the time? Eighty. Uh, 80- five-ish percent. (laughs) I I do think about work all the time, but that's because my work is my life's passion. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different than, you know, feeling uh, about it as a drudgery. Um, I I really like it. You know, my husband always says, if we win the lottery, you know, what would you do? And I'd say, I'd go to work on Monday. So, you know, I, I might, you know, do it a little differently, but so in addition to being passionate, you're also out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I might try to negotiate a Friday off, but, <laughs> a four-day work week. But, but I'm saying, you know, uh, so, so I don't feel that the, it's not a heavy work thing that I, that I live with. Um, when I first started this job, did I have more of a life outside of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's a choice that I made. It's a choice that fit uh, my life at this moment with children that need less of my attention because they're grown up. And does it get better or worse? I don't like the terms better or worse. I think it's I think it's just different. It's a mental adjust. Mm-hmm. I still find time to do the things that I love to do. I do love film. I do love television. I do love my podcasts. I listen to them when I'm driving. I listen to them when I'm cleaning my house. I love my Sono sound system because I can listen to things in every room of the house. It's really very different. Um, but you have to have the balance, though. You really do. 
Linda, you actually have a different set of circumstances because your spouse is actually in the same business. (laughs) Yeah, we're both uh, busy trying to change the world. But I will say I feel very fortunate and very similar that um, that my partner, Jama, really she has a very good perspective on work and life. Because we both have the type of jobs, I would say, especially me, where she travels a lot. Her job is national and I have a lot of nighttime commitments. So I have dinners and committee meetings and board meetings and events um, a lot. And so we always we look at a month and we will actually schedule dates, at least one date once a week where it's just the two of us and we can reconnect. Um, I did about a year and a half ago uh, take up and learn meditation. And I try to because I'm someone who is always Thinking about things and and going over them in my head, I find that a really <laughs> is it working? I just can't picture it. I know you too well. I, I think know. That's what it I is. know. It's it's shocking. It, I I don't do it consistently, but this is the kind of meditation where it's not a, a a should meditate. Like you should not feel bad if you don't do it. So what happens is if I have a particularly full day and I wake up and my mind is already whirling with oh my god, I have so many things to do, I will force myself. Picture it. I will force myself to sit on the couch for 20 minutes and close my eyes and be quiet and try and clear my mind. And I find that then I'm able to start the day with a lot more focus and calm. I have this uh, philosophy about nonprofit leadership and uh, about how nonprofit leaders can be most successful. And I believe that it is when an organization builds a culture of storytelling. You are at Futuro with Latino USA and America by the Numbers. I'm speaking to the choir here, right? Uh, Tell me a story about your organization, the one that says, you know, on the bad days, right, on the tough days, I hear a story like this or I tell a story like this and it makes – it reminds me and and I often get emails from people who are overwhelmed and are missing the joy in their work. I really feel like that's one of the things that people really, really miss. So tell me a story, if you will, if one of you or both of you, a brief story about work you've done recently that you wish your board member would tell at a cocktail party over the weekend that gives you great joy and makes you feel like you know you are in the right place doing the right kind of work. Who wants to go? I'll go for it. It was probably the first or second year I started the job although this happens periodically all the time, where we had a couple of kids, they were literally 16, 17 years old, showed up on the steps of the center. It was Christmas Eve Um, from Florida. They had traveled on the bus because they were gay and their parents were not accepting and they didn't feel like they could live a life and be who they were in their hometown. And they literally showed up in New York City thinking, This is the place where I can be who I am and be accepted and arrived to, thankfully, open doors, open arms at the center, a warm place to sit, people to talk to, resources to connect with, to find a place to sleep that night, and a community that gave them the message right away, you matter, you're important, we love you for who you are. And that kind of thing is is just priceless. And I, I think about what if we weren't there? What if we weren't open 365 days a year because it's Christmas Eve and the people working at the center have families too? 
So it really brings home for me the kind of compromises that that people on staff make to be there for other people that really need help in the community at all times. I love my job. I love what I do. And uh, and I think it's pretty important. It is a great question for your organization to ask itself during any kind of strategy work is if we were not here, what gap would there be and how would it be filled? Right. And I know Glenda is about to undergo a strategic planning process. I encourage people to ask that question to make sure their relevance is solid and secure. Maria, your story time with Maria. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, it's it's more of um, I wish that any of my board members would feel what I feel every day when I walk into this organization and every night when I leave it. And that is you look around and you see amazing, talented young people in the service of telling stories to make the world a better place. Just the level of, of sense of responsibility that they have for social justice. Uh, it's what wakes me up every morning and um, helps with the long hours. You know, there was, a, there was a day that I was actually having a really bad day. Ironically, it was listening to something on a podcast that kind of threw me off kilter. And I was like, am I being my best self? Am I being my best mother? Am I being my best wife? Am I being my best worker? And you should stop listening to that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But it was actually a comment that someone made in the podcast that made me think like, oh, my gosh, am I showing up as the best person that I can be every day? And uh, two of the gentlemen that work at this organization, and they are gentlemen, saw in my face the rare time that the twinkle was out. And they said the right thing. They said, Mm -hmm. we know that you have our backs every day and we know that you are here for us and that we can always count on you. And that's that's really reassuring for us. And I, you know, listening to your producers yeah. at the Reporter's Notebook event that you did a couple of weeks ago where they spoke about the hunt for the great stories that people weren't hearing about uh, Latino USA. You know, I did not actually pull names out of a hat when I decided to invite Glenda and Maria to join us. (laughs) So I wanted to just say, and just in closing, that I really appreciate uh, both of you joining us. Um, Glenda, the executive director of the New York LGBT Center. You can learn more about the great work at the center at www.gaycenter.org. And to Maria from Futuro Media Group, you can find more out about their programming and get involved at www.futuromediagroup.org. So I hope you've taken away a few nuggets of advice and some good suggestions from Maria and Glenda, as well as a sense of real pride, joy, and hope in the work that they do. I know that I share their enthusiasm and joy about nonprofit work, and I know from my own experience as an ED as well as a um, nonprofit consultant that while these jobs sometimes feel undoable, the work is really a privilege. And it is the joy of being paid to make a difference that carries you through. As always, if you like our show, the best way you can help us out is to go over to iTunes, subscribe if you haven't already, and please leave a rating and a review. It's the ratings and the reviews that are what tells iTunes to let people know about our great podcast series. So it's helpful, and I really appreciate it. Join us next time. I have a special treat. A while back, I recorded this conversation with Alex Sanger, the chair of the International Planned Parenthood Council. 
Alex is an author, a CEO, and the grandson of the remarkable Margaret Sanger, the founder of the birth control movement. It was such a great conversation, I decided to add it to the Nonprofits or Messy podcast series. We discuss leadership, messaging, fundraising, and a lot more. Don't miss it. So in the meantime, thanks to Glenda and Maria for joining us. I'm Joan Gary, and we'll talk to you next time. Nonprofits are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.